Good morning. It's good to kind of be with you again. Uh, thanks to Jeremy for reading God's Word. We're back here in Luke 12, and uh, as you saw, or as you heard read, we're talking about anxiety this morning. Jesus says, don't be anxious. Right, we, we find ourselves living in days in which our, our nation continues to languish in so many different ways, and it has introduced more fears and worries and anxieties, hasn't it? I'm sure it has to you. I've heard from a number of you that said of such. And even before all of this that we've been experiencing, before the pandemic, before the racial tensions and the like, we were living in what sociologists called the, quote, age of anxiety. And so this notion of anxiousness, uh, this notion of worry, of fear, seems to be gripping most of us. In fact, I could say as a pastor, one of the things that I minister to and pray for most often um, is that of stress and anxiety. People asking me to pray for them as it relates to a, a midterm or a final or a, uh, a wedding ceremony or something in marriage or in family. Um, and so this notion of anxiety is a common one in our day. And of course, it was, must have been at some level common in Jesus' day. And when I reference this notion of anxiety, I just want to be clear from the beginning uh, that I'm referencing, I am not referencing that kind of fight or flight system that God built within us. Uh, that kind of uh, fear that comes when the plane bumps or the, when the doctor gives us bad news. Or what Jesus seems to be referencing here in this passage is this notion of common fears and common anxieties that mark us throughout the week. And Jesus says of those anxiousness, of those anxious thoughts, he says, don't be anxious. And so today, not only will we hear that command of Christ, he'll also kindly provide for us seven reasons why we should not be anxious. Seven things to orient us towards the kingdom of heaven and not the kingdom of the earth, to lift us and rid us of those fears and anxieties. And so as you saw read there in Luke 12, 22 to 33, I want you to notice in verse 22, one of the first words that Jesus has uses, uses there is that word, therefore. Therefore. And so what we're about to read is important to understand that this is Jesus' conclusion to what he has been saying. And what he has been saying goes all the way back to the beginning of the chapter, Luke chapter 12. Do you remember that from a few weeks ago, what Jesus said there? Remember how he told us to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And that leaven, you remember, was hypocrisy. How the Pharisees were using God, were using religion in order to get favor from man for themselves. Jesus says, beware of those that use Bible, religion, to make a name for themselves. Watch out for that. Don't let it get in on you. And then you remember that a couple weeks ago, Jesus warned us of this notion of covetousness. Remember, he talked about how the abundance of life is not found in possessions, to be rich towards God, to not build bigger barns on the earth. Those were the things that he mentions. And out of that, Jesus says in verse 22, therefore, don't be anxious about your life. This is a beautiful thought to consider. What Jesus is saying here is wonderfully beautiful and pastoral. I don't know if you caught that. Jesus is therefore is a recognition, beloved, of your vulnerability. When he tells us to not be a hypocrite, but instead to speak up about him in 
public places, knowing that you might go to trial. Remember that? The Holy Spirit would teach you in those times. He knew that that's going to make you vulnerable if you speak up. Jesus knew also if you don't big build, build, big builder bigger barns and you try to live for the glories of heaven, not on here, not on earth, he knew that would make you vulnerable. And so therefore, him to say, therefore, don't be anxious, he recognized, Jesus recognizes that if you live that way, there's going to be reason to be anxious. There's going to be reason to be worrisome. And he says, don't be. And then he provides those seven reasons why. Which is such a wonderful thought, isn't it? As we thought about last week, God sees us in our affliction. And Jesus, here in the word, anticipates those potential afflictions when we're living for his glory out in the world. He knows that we might be tempted to anxiety and he tells us to not be and then he gives those seven reasons why we should not be. We should also notice if you slide over there in verse 32, he recognizes that we're a little flock. We're not a big flock in the world. The church has never been a big flock in the world. He recognizes that we're vulnerable to thieves and destruction verse 33 he recognized all of this and so he says he anticipates what's going to come don't be anxious and so to be ruled by anxiety or to have anxiety that is is to be ruled by the fear of earthly losses or to say it another way anxiety is to lose sight of our hope of our heavenly reward to be so grounded in the here and now or to say it's still a third way, anxiety is to lose sight of the sovereignty of your heavenly Father who is after His people's good. Or even fourthly, most simply, Jesus says right there in the passage, verse 28, anxiety is at some level being of little faith or of no faith. That is to say, not trusting God. And Jesus says, I know what's going on here. The therefore tells us, I know that by living and following me like this, you're going to feel like a little flock. You're going to feel susceptible to the world. I know that by living like this, you're going to be tempted towards anxiety. But don't be. And then he tells us these seven things. I hope, beloved, that causes you to give worship to Christ. That he not just tells you something, but he's recognizing how you're susceptible by following him. So as we walk through these seven things, be reminded of Jesus' carefulness just to recognize your susceptibility and secondly, to give you reasons why you should not be and not just give you a straight command. So let's consider this first one. Why, Jesus, should we not be anxious as a little flock in the world following you? First reason, he says, because life is more than what we see. Look then to the things that are unseen. Why should we not be anxious? Well, because life is more than what we see. Uh, we should look to the things that are unseen. Jesus goes on to clarify what he means by that word life. Do not be anxious about your life. Well, what's life? He's talked about that already a little bit, but he goes on to say, don't be anxious about having the basic necessities to live. He references their food, body, clothing. Jesus is saying here that in order to defeat anxiety, don't lose sight of this, listen to me, in order to defeat anxiety, we have to understand that life is not less than the basic necessities, but it's more. We have to see that life is more than the material, what we can see, what we can touch, what we can taste. True life 
is not found ultimately in these things. Jesus is helping us see this. This is Jesus' first point of counsel to not be anxious. We have to see life is not less than the material, but more. And remember what Jesus said about three minutes ago in his speech. Up in verse 5. I realize for us that was a month ago, but it was just like three minutes ago when he was talking. In verse 5, remember what he says. He said, I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed, that is the body, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. See, Jesus is saying there's more to life than just the body. That is what comes after death. And we'll think more about this in a minute, but look again at verses 29 and 30 where Jesus brings up this notion of the basic material necessities of life again. And there he says, people that worry about that stuff, that's what the world does. That's what the world does. They worry about these things, but not you. You are Jesus' disciples. You are in the world, but you are not of the world. You're not like them. See, the key distinction between us and the world, one of the key distinctions between us and the world is we cannot see less than the world does, but we definitely see more than the world does. We've been given eyes to see the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That is to say, we have been given eyes to see the kingdom. We know the story. We know where this world is going. We know who is over it. We see that. We know the whole story. And so therefore, we ought not be anxious since we understand that life is more than living and dying. And so therefore, to borrow the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, we do not lose heart. Or we could say, we are not anxious, since we know this. As Paul goes on to say, though our outer self is wasting away, right, there's the food, the body, the clothing, those our outer self is wasting away, our inner self, there's the spiritual, the, spirit, the inner self is being renewed day by day. For... This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look, that is to say, as we hope in, as we trust, as we look not, not, not to the things that are seen, those basic necessities, but instead we look to the things that are unseen, right? We look to the king and the kingdom, and then Paul goes on to say, for the things that are seen are transient, which is to say they're temporary. Food, clothing, that stuff, temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Hope then, beloved, be oriented by true and forever life. Following Jesus and not being a hypocrite is hard. Living simply in the world is hard. Being persecuted, suffering for the sake of Christ is hard. We are a little flock in the world. But we have to speak up for our Savior. We must because we do have that knowledge and others don't. And that's going to make us susceptible. So therefore, we must travel light, be vulnerable. And Jesus says, don't be anxious as you are because life is not the basic necessities. Jesus says, I see you. I know this is going to be hard, but don't be anxious. Look to the unseen. And then we then say, okay, Jesus, how do I do that? How do I look to the unseen? How do I be oriented by the kingdom of heaven? 
and not the things of the earth? How do I not have anxiety and look to the king? How do I do that? Second thing Jesus says, consider the ravens. Verse 24, consider the ravens. How do you not be anxious as we live for Christ in the kingdom? Not for man and earthly pleasures? Well, we rehearse that life is more than what we see. And second, we consider the ravens. Now, listen, at this point, you may be hearing this going, well, that's a little ridiculous. Right? Some of you might be thinking that. But listen closely to Jesus. Listen to him. He says, ravens neither sow nor reap, and yet God feeds them. God feeds them. In other words, ravens, neither they're not planting corn, they're not digging wells, and yet they're thriving. They're all around us. They were obviously there 2,000 years ago. They're right outside of here. They're still living. What Jesus seems to be indicating, what he's helping us see, is that ravens are unable to control the basic necessities of their life. Ravens are unable to control what they need for the basic necessities of life. And then Jesus asked that provocative question. How much more valuable are you than the ravens? And there's something that I think if we consider even more deeply, makes that question pop all the more. When we look back in Leviticus, we find that ravens were known to be unclean animals. Marked out specifically. Unclean birds. My wife does this a lot. Ever had a pigeon or a bunch of pigeons fly next to you? And you get fearful? Right? Why? Because you know, this is my way my wife thinks, those are unclean animals. Well, that's the way the Jews thought about the ravens. And here, Jesus is preaching to the throngs. Remember, that's the context. And amidst those throngs, he pulls aside. Don't lose sight, guys. Look at verse 22. He's teaching this to his disciples, not the throngs. And surely, as he's teaching to them, a couple ravens fly by. Maybe it distracts the disciples. And he says, look at the ravens. Take a look at them. They're unclean, dirty birds. Scavengers. They see French fries, they go get them. They take them, they eat them. They see dead squirrels, they eat them. They have to, they have nothing else. They see a puddle, they go drink the water in the puddle. God provides all of this for them. They're dirty animals, and yet God cares for them. How much more important to you, how much more valuable are you than them? I'm sure Jesus could have inserted, my goodness, here I am. I'm the Son of God. God sent me to get you and bring you home. You guys got to, you also have to remember that similar appeal that Jesus said again about three minutes ago in verse 7. Remember what he said there? Don't fear man. Instead, fear God. Because God knows about the sparrows. He knows the number of hairs on your head. Don't fear you're more than sparrows. You're much more. You're not just more valuable, you're much more valuable than the ravens. Therefore, fear not. Some of you know that on Wednesdays in the afternoon, some weeks, most weeks, after the passage sort of gets in my mind, uh, I go on a walk around the community, around our office building. And I will walk and just try to, I use that time to try to let the passage sink from my head to my heart. 
And the last couple weeks, I've been walking around and I've been paying very careful attention. I've been trying to obey Jesus and consider the ravens. I've also found myself to be considering cardinals and blue jays and robins and finches and ravens. And it's such an amazing thing to do this, to take a walk and look at those birds. I mean, I have stopped. I'm sure some people thought I was crazy. Just stopped and I stared at those birds and I thought about this. And it's amazing to watch those birds kind of look for food. And I am able to connect the dots. God loves me so much. He sent me his son. If he's going to care for them, how much more does he care for me? And I watch and I felt my own anxieties in those moments begin to fade. As I literally went and considered ravens on a walk. And I thanked God for how he put this in the Bible. And how practical he is to give these things, these reminders to us to quiet our anxieties. Friends, you don't need to know systematic theology like a theologian does. You don't need to have some Bible degree to grow in the peace of Christ. You just have to know and consider a few things that Jesus said. Like considering how God cares for ravens. How much more valuable are you to him than they? Part of the reason why we have so much anxiety is because we think that we are in control. Anxiety is often, not always, but often uh, a byproduct of the realization that we can't control something. I'm thinking about this right now. My wife and kids are listening to me talk and they are on the way down to Atlanta, Georgia. And I am tempted towards anxiety about them getting there safely. So what's going on there? I can't control it. I can't make all the cars not hurt them and them get there safely. And so what often happens in the midst of anxiety is we realize we can't control something. And Jesus hits the nail on the head when he says ravens don't have control and yet they're cared for. And you are much more valuable than they. And so while some of you, while all of us have some control more than the ravens, you do not have ultimate control. Even though you try so hard to. Stop fearing by your stop trying to have control of that which is truly life and trust God. Look to God to care for you. Look to God to care for your life because life is more than food and clothing. Life, that is to say, is more than living and dying. Life is found in Christ and His kingdom, that unseen kingdom that will soon be seen. The more you see that, Live for that, oriented by that. The more you consider the ravens, the more your anxieties will decrease. Which leads us to the third point of counsel. What are your anxieties getting you anyway? Thirdly, rehearse the futility of anxiety. Life is more than what we see. Consider the ravens. Rehearse the futility of anxiety. I ask you, beloved, this question. I'm not just reading it. I'm actually asking you. I'm actually asking you to consider it. Try to answer the question. What has your anxiety gotten you? Has it made things better? Or has it made things worse? Jesus asked that wonderful question. Hard question. Who here by worrying has had an hour to your span of life? And so the question then is, have you? Have you been able to add any time to your span of life? So on Wednesday, this past Wednesday, I celebrated my 45th trip around the sun. 
And I can tell you, as I was thinking about this passage, my worries, my anxieties, which I do have from time to time, added none, no length to that trip around the sun. None. And so what makes us think that if we can't even add not just an hour, but just a few seconds, if we can't do that, what makes us think that we're going to accomplish anything meaningful with those anxieties, with those fears? But I realize that most of you don't need me to tell you that. You don't need Jesus to tell you that. You already knew it. You already knew that your anxieties, you can't seem to stop it. But I want you to see something, beloved. What Jesus seems to be doing here is even if you know that your anxieties accomplish nothing, he wants you to rehearse the futility of the anxiety as part of the solution to get you to quiet down, as it were. He places this here as part of defeating anxiety, to slow down, to consider life is more than uh, our greatest worries. Uh, slow down, consider the ravens, you're more valuable than ache. Slow down, consider the fact that anxiety is not going to help you. It's not the only thing he says, but it is helpful to consider that by answering that question, it does quiet us. He then moves to the fourth thing, fourth piece of counsel, consider the lilies. Verse 27. And again, some of you are thinking, seriously, Jesus, this is your counsel. Like, Jesus, my anxiety problems are bad. And you want me to go around and take a look at birds and a bunch of grass? Come on, man. But Jesus' answer is yes. You have to do this if you're going to quiet your anxious souls. Why? Why does he want you to consider lilies and birds? Because by considering how God cares for the smallest of things, you will then know how God cares for you that are in Christ. Which will then lead you to stop trying so hard to take control from God. Which will then release you to trust God all the more because you know He cares for you. If He cares for the little things, He'll care for the big things. So once again, consider the context here. Jesus again is outside teaching. Amidst the throngs, Jesus is not teaching in some auditorium. Right? He doesn't have some, you know, bowl full of lilacs in the corner that he references. He's not preaching in a botanical gardens with a bunch of roses in the room. No, he sees some ravens fly by and he talks about them. He looks over and sees what are something to the equivalent of dandelions some stubborn little weed of a flower that is pushing up through the rocks and the desert sand. That's the word there. Jesus says they have very little trouble bubbling up to the surface of the earth. That's the whole notion of toiling and spinning. They seem to pop up everywhere. He says, consider them. Consider the kind of dandelions, we might say. Bright yellow set against a stem of green. Beautiful in its own way. I, thought, I saw one this morning on the way to this building. Canopy opened wide to the side of the world saying, look at me. Look how bright I am. You looked at me because I'm so bright. And Jesus says that the greatest king in the history of Israel didn't have more beauty, more splendor, more glory than that little dandelion does. <laughs> and so if God so clothes the grass, 
which is going to have a weed eater come and knock it down. And why do you doubt? Why do you worry? Why do you fear? When the God that made the earth and sustains the dirtiest of flowers and birds is the same God that makes and sustains you. Jesus says you are much more, don't just say more, he says much more valuable than they are. And so beloved, I hope you see what Jesus is doing. Again, he's narrowing in on the smallest details of life from a couple sparrows falling off of a bird feeder, as it were, back up in verse 7, to the number of hairs on your hair, to head, to the dirty ravens, to the stubborn dandelions. And he's saying none of it is out of his sight. None of it is out of his control. None of it is out of the purview of his love. And all of these things are not what life is ultimately about. True life is in the unseen. True life is in God redeeming man, reconciling him to himself to display his glory on the earth. Beloved, you are known. As we thought about last week, you are seen, you are loved. So stop being worried by your considering the lot of lilies who apparently have no trouble sprouting up just about anywhere in all of their glory and you are much more valuable to God than they are. You, beloved, will be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And you will get His glory, Romans 8. Far greater glory than that of King Solomon. He will clothe you with the glory of Christ. So God is way better at sustaining that which is truly life than you or I are. And so do not be anxious as you follow Jesus and are susceptible to the world. And he gives us reasons why. Life is more than what we see. We consider how God takes care of the ravens and the dandelions. We consider the futility of anxiety. In fifth, we consider your father's awareness of your needs. Consider your Father's awareness of your needs. That's verse 29 and 30. When Jesus says there, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, what he means there is don't obsess over that. Don't be driven by the basic needs for life. Much less don't be driven by all the stuff you don't need. That's a whole other sermon, right? Don't be obsessed by those basic things. Why? Well, Jesus gives us two more reasons there in verse 29 and 30. One, that's what the world does. The world is driven. The world is obsessed by that stuff. That's the way they think. We've already said this. The world is oriented to this world, not by the world to come as we are. We are oriented to the unseen, right? The eternal, not the transient. So the world is needing the approval of man, thus the hypocrisy. The world wants and needs a kind of abundance of possessions because this is all they have. The world has reason to be worried because about their basic needs because they have no hope in a God that will care for them. But that's not us. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we are known by God, loved by God, cared, by, cared for by God. Therefore, why would we worry about the kinds of things that the world does when we are not oriented to this world? Which leads to his second reason inside of that one. Your father knows you need the basic necessities of life. He knows, you, he knows what you need. 
Keep in mind the passage doesn't they say there that he's going to supply for your, your wants, <laughs> but he knows what you need. So why would you obsess? Why would you worry? Why would you be fearful or anxious about your needs? Beloved, rehearse the fact that your father knows you need that stuff. And since you've considered, since you've already considered the ravens and the dandelions, that you're more valuable to him than they are, and since his son, since he sent his son to defeat sin uh, and death on the cross and in the resurrection, since you've known that, rehearsed that, lived in that, you then are able to be reminded that God is able to provide your basic needs. If he would supply for you salvation and food for dirty birds, surely he can supply for you your basic needs for life. So instead of seeking the world and comfort and life in the world as the world does, what does he say? Look at verse 30. Seek the kingdom of Christ. Instead, seek the kingdom. Don't obsess. Don't worry about the basic stuff of this world. Be oriented by the kingdom. Be oriented by the God of the kingdom. And what you'll find is, is your basic needs get thrown in. Because your father knows that you need them. Just like the father knows the ravens need food and the flowers need glory. Fears we find, friends, are often, not always, but often irrational. They don't make sense. And what Jesus seems to be doing here, friends, is he's appealing to our logic and to beauty. He's appealing to our affections. Not just our thinking, but he appeals to our affections. And that's what he does next. And the sixth thing, to counsel us to not be anxious. The sixth thing he says is to Consider the good pleasure of your Father to give you the kingdom. Consider the good pleasure of your Father to give you the kingdom. I've been meditating on this verse for the past two or three weeks, guys. Fear not. So beautiful. Fear not. Why? Well, because Jesus knows that we're a little flock. He's aware of the fact that we're susceptible. We've already talked about that. But also, he, Christian, is, underline this, your Father. Said that in there twice. You can see it in verse 30. See it in verse 32. It doesn't just say that God is a father. That, by the way, would have been amazing enough that God was a father. But the text says, Jesus says, he's your father. He's yours and you're his. You know, we think about that verse that Jesus talked about just a few verses back in chapter 11 of Luke. You remember that one? Where it says, fathers, you being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more? There it is again. That's most of Jesus' ministry. Just that. How much more? When you're struggling, just ask yourself, how much more? If you know how to give good gifts, if your fathers know how to give good gifts to your children and you are evil apart from Christ, how much more will your father give good gifts to those that love him? Called according to his purpose. How much more will he give good gifts? As a father, if... I give good gifts to my sons. How much more does our Father, who is our Father? I, I think we lose sight of this because most of us that grow up in the church, we've heard this notion of our Father, my Father, so many times it loses its force. But brothers and sisters, you gotta know that the God that spoke the world into existence, that sent His Son, that is sustaining the world, is your Father. And you are His son or daughter. 
and it is his good pleasure to give you the greatest gift of all, the kingdom. Two Christmases ago, we were getting ready to go on our sabbatical in Florida, and we knew that we were going to drive by the Magic Kingdom. And so Andy and I decided that we would purchase one day of tickets so the boys can go and that we could all go. I say it's the boys. I wanted to go too. So we all wanted to go into the Magic Kingdom, go into Disney World. And so we, we got those armbands, we wrapped them up, we put them under the tree, and we were so, Andy and I were so excited to give them that gift. We couldn't wait to watch them open up those armbands because they would know what they would mean when they opened them up. And so Christmas morning came and they opened them up and they got so excited. And we were so excited. We would have, Andy and I would have traded all of our gifts in just to give them that gift and have the joy of watching them open up those gifts. If we have so much joy in giving simple things like tickets to Disney World, how much more joy does it give God to give us the kingdom of Christ? It is with even greater joy, beloved, that your Father gives you access to a far greater kingdom that never shuts down and cannot fail. For God, right, this is what we believe, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life in that kingdom. And He's so happy to give that to His people. God does not give the kingdom to his children because he has to. He gives the kingdom to his children because it gives him pleasure to do so. (laughs) Just sit on that thought this week. This is the heart of God. This is what God is like. Pleasure in giving good gifts to his children. Dane Ortland writes in his masterpiece, his quick masterpiece, Gentle and Lonely, he he writes in his book, he says, this book is written for the discouraged, the frustrated, the weary, the disenchanted, the cynical, the empty, we might add the anxious. Those running on fumes, he says, those whose Christian lives feel like constantly running up a descending escalator. Those of us who find ourselves thinking, how could I mess up that that bad again? It is for those that are increasing It is for that increasing suspicion that God's patience with us is wearing thin. For those of us who know God loves us but suspect we have deeply disappointed Him, who have told others of the love of Christ, yet wonder if, as for us, God harbors mild resentment. I would add there, for those who know God loves them but think He begrudgingly gives you the kingdom. God has written you a book, beloved. The Bible. And on every page is not rules and regulations. Every page is a call to come home. Come home. Like we will consider in Luke 15, He looks for you and cannot wait to have you home with Him. He has pleasure in your coming home to live in His kingdom with you as His son or daughter and Him as your father. So many of us are anxious and full of worry because we don't trust God, but instead we trust ourselves 
And part of the reason we trust ourselves and don't trust God is because we view God either as uninvolved or incapable of being in control of our lives, or we think he might be in control, but he's not real happy about controlling our lives. And so the image I think that many of us live with, even as Christians, the image in our hearts and minds is that, a, is that of a father who begrudgingly stands at the counter and buys the toy he used to barter with his child to keep quiet over dinner. That is not the heart of Christ. That is not your father. You are much more valuable than birds and flowers that he cares for. He has not just pleasure, but good pleasure to give you a life with him in a world full of love and justice. He is a doting heavenly father on Christmas morning waiting for you to open up and enjoy his good gift. So why would you doubt him? Why try and take control from him in your lives by being worried? He loves to give good gifts to his children. He loves to create, sustain, and carry on his goodwill in our lives. And so, beloved, fear not which would then release us to the seventhly and finally to live simply and give generously. Seventh point of counsel to not be anxious, to live simply and give generously. That's verse 33 and 34. Most of us go around believing this lie that if we had just a little bit more financial or job security, we would be less anxious. We had just a little bit bigger house then we would be less anxious. If you could just pay off that debt, get a nice vacation, have a few more clothes in the closet, then we would be less anxious. Have children and give them that better education, then our anxiety would wither. In other words, the thinking goes that if we had just more of something in the world, we would be less worrisome. And Jesus says it's entirely the opposite. Which explains, by the way, why millionaires are so full of fear and anxiety. Jesus says the key piece, key to peace, is selling and giving, not receiving and keeping. Sell your possessions, he says, and give to the needy and watch your anxieties wither because you'll have less to worry about. Now, obviously, Jesus doesn't mean sell all of your possessions since in the very next sentence he says, provide yourself with money bags. Right? The point here is to travel light in order that you might give to the needy and find true life, live in that true life that he said. Remember what he said a couple weeks ago, abundance, uh, life is not found in the abundance of possessions. The more you give to the needy, the more you live in that true life. And you do this. You sell possessions. You give to the needy. You do this not to sort of earn your way to heaven. No, no. It's because you want to live in that kingdom. You want to enjoy that kingdom because you trust God, because you trust him to care for you. And you want to see, you want to be part of hand, his hands and feet to care for the people uh, that are in need. What you want to do is you're building as you give, as you sell and give, you're building your treasure in heaven where nothing can ever stop it. That's what Jesus says there. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And it says there in that verse, that verse 33, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You treasure the kingdom of heaven, then, beloved, you will give to the needy of the earth. 
And the reality is, is all of us treasure something. And whatever it is that we treasure controls us because it's where our heart is. It's where our trust is. Anxiety, you remember, is ultimately a lack of faith in Christ. Therefore, if your treasure is in something other than Christ, you can be sure that whatever that treasure is, it will be reason for a great deal of your fears and anxieties. So, for instance, if you treasure financial security, you're going to have anxiety over money. You treasure comfort, you'll have anxiety over anyone and anything that tries to change your comfort zone, which explains a lot of racism, by the way. If you treasure notoriety, therefore, you're going to fear not being recognized. You treasure your personal autonomy, therefore, anyone that makes any demands upon you to change, that will be the basis of your greatest fears. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, beloved, what are you anxious about? Trace that back to your heart, and there you'll find whatever it is you treasure. And if you build on anything other than Christ, friend, you need to know your treasure is built on shifting sand. When the wind and the rains come, it will wash away that treasure in a moment because your trust and treasure is built on eggshells. But what Jesus is saying here is if you treasure Christ in his kingdom, if he is your hope, his kingdom is your great reward, if you lay hold of your life and you lay it down and live for it for the good of others, to the glory of Christ, if you say, send me, then listen, you build on the rock. The wind and the waves will come, but you'll stand. You won't be anxious. Nothing and no one will be able to touch you, which is why, by the way, Paul could say to live is Christ and die is gain. Because if he dies, or if he, if he lives, he's able to show people the diamonds and the rubies of Jesus. And if he, if he dies, he gets to go home and be with his treasure. He was untouchable. And that is why he lived simply and gave generously. He knew the treasure of Christ. He knew he wanted everyone to have it because he knew how good it was. And so I wonder, do you? Do you treasure Christ? None of us do that perfectly. But I'm saying at the bottom of it all, do you believe that you are among his little flock in the world that knows your father's got you and he's going to bring you home? Do you treasure the thought that you are much more valuable to him than birds and flowers that he meticulously cares for? Do you treasure that it was your father's good pleasure to give you his son to take away your sin? to give you the hope of heaven in a resurrected life? Or do you not treasure Christ? Is Christ nothing more than a tradition that maybe you grew up in? An insurance policy? A good teacher to give you some sort of inspiring words? Who can help you build your kingdom? Well, friend, if that's the case, that likely explains the predominance of anxieties in your life. There is only one treasure on earth that is worth selling everything to get. And that is Christ and his kingdom. And because he is the only one, the reason for that is because he's the only one that is true life, since he is life itself. And so might I plead with you to turn from your American dream and trust and treasure Christ. 
sell your possessions, give to those in need, find a kingdom that can never be threatened by thieves or by moths. Build a treasure in heaven where Christ is, that there you might be with him also. And for those of us that have already done this, that are trusting him and treasuring him, for you that trust in Jesus and longs to treasure him more, listen, don't be anxious. Don't be of little faith. Be of great faith. Life is more than what you see. Live for the unseen. Be oriented by that. Consider the ravens and the lilies. Consider the futility of anxiety. Consider the Father's awareness of your neediness. Consider the Father's good pleasure to give you the greatest gift in the history of the world. Sell it all. Give generously. And watch your anxieties fade as you live in the light of His glorious grace. Let's do this together as we pray now together. God, we are so thankful that you are aware of danger. And you speak into it. You are aware that what you call us to is not easy. Thank you, Jesus, for being a good pastor. God, help us to not be anxious. As Paul would say in Philippians 4, for anything. But teach us instead to say with Paul, to live as Christ and die as gain. Teach us to slow down and consider how much more valuable we are to you in our smaller things that you care for. May we slow down and consider Christ is King and He has been reigning and He will reign and He will bring all things to the end of all things, which is that consummated kingdom of heaven. May we wait upon it, live simply, give generously, and live as those that are hopeful in the world, not fearful like the rest of the world. May we do this for your glory and our own good, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.